Do you guys know what May 12th is? Sunday, May 12th? Mama's Day. That would be correct. It's Mother's Day. So let me ask you, do you basically get your mom the same gift every year for Mother's Day? Maybe some flowers, some chocolates, Mm -hmm. maybe a robe or a framed photo. Boring stuff, right? Right. Well, let me tell you about something that's totally cool and different for Mother's Day that will never wilt, spoil, or put an extra 10 pounds around her waist. I'm talking about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty unique. Cool, right? Right. Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. Your mom can either type a response to the email or she can record her voice if she prefers to do that or she can do both. And mylifeinabook.com then compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book as well as an audio book. And if you want, and she's up to the task technically, you know, the audio book is a, is a great extra thing to be able to do. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your future generations can treasure. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is kind of your chance to give her a way to share them. Every family is a little bit different. And in my family, we love to give each other a really hard time. So I've taken the approach in doing this of asking my mom to comment on some of those family moments that might be a bit embarrassing to other family members. Last week, my question was, mom, did you feel guilty that day you hit me over the head with your wooden clog and dad had to take me to the hospital for eight stitches? (laughs) Mom's response, back in the day, I was the disciplinarian of the house. And when you were eight years old, you refused to get out of Nancy's, that's my sister's, plastic kiddie pool. I told you 10 times to get out of the damn pool. You didn't listen. So I chased you around the yard. And when you slipped, I nailed you right on the head. That was the last time you got in that kiddie pool. Of course, dad had to lie to the ER and tell him that uh, that you fell on your head, but I nailed you good. The entire process with my life in a book is simple. And in the end, mom will have a great keepsake that can remain in your family for generations. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code RLRC at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code RLRC for 10% off today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to and during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. Do you understand your rights? When the wolf is at your door, you running so This episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast may contain descriptions of acts of violence or that of a sexual nature and should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off of the internet or for some television show. The facts I'm retelling you were presented to me by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. 
my descriptions of the crime scenes, what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. And today I'm going to be beginning what I have to say is going to be at least two part, three part. I don't know how long it's going to go series. Um, this is very unique. I've never done this before, but I have the entire case file of, from over the years on this case. Actually, it's two cases. And the, the one I'm going to be talking about mainly, um, you'll, you'll see why as it goes along, but uh, the I'm going to do a call to action at the end. And man, I know it's, it's the longest shot in the world, longer than, than, uh, Miss Barbara Blunt's case or any, anybody else, Wesley Dale Morgan's or whatever, but you've got to hear this. This is not speculation. This case has been covered in everything from cosmopolitan magazine to every type of news article and, and outlet it could be. But again, I'm going to be reading to you directly from court transcripts, which is something I never do. But I went down this wormhole, and I, I'm not going to put my own conjecture in it. And I want to read you exactly what was said in the courtroom testimony. Now, that being said, I'm going straight to the death penalty phase of a courtroom hearing okay now meaning that means this asshole and his name is eric mickelson he's all he's already been convicted of first degree murder and in louise state of louisiana when you get convicted of first degree murder the same jury that sat there and they heard the trial and they found you guilty then they go into the penalty phase and in the penalty phase, they get to hear all the shit they couldn't get to hear during the regular trial. And that's where I'm going to pick up. And there's a reason for that because there was a lot that had to be left out, uh, um, specifically about the the young lady. And I know, she, I mean, obviously she's dead, uh, Christy O'Pry. But I, listen, I, you know, I talked briefly with the family and, and one of the prosecutors and everything else. And I get it, and I read all the stuff and listened to all the stuff and all these conjectures about this person and that person. But I'm going to tell you exactly what was said in court. In fact, I'm going to read it. You're going to hear me turn in pages. But if it's not after the first couple pages, some of the most outrageously horrible stuff you've ever heard. And listen to me. This is not one where it's going to get boring as it goes along. The further it gets into these people's testimony in this death penalty phase, the more horrible this case gets and the more tragic it is. And sometimes these things happen, but I'm going to pray at the end of it. Uh, and I may have a family member one by then or whatever. I'm not sure. But the, the by, by the end of it, I'm going to tell you everything that was reported and everything that was done. And there maybe there's a just a small prayer, a small window of hope that we could do something. I don't know what, um, do something to bring a new piece of evidence for it. Um, for Christy. And uh, the, this, this case just has so many twists and turns in it, including to, to the more current day turns and everything else. So just stick with me. All right. So the first of all, Eric Milkson, um, he was on trial for first degree murder of a Shreveport businessman, Charles Martin. Now Charles Martin was a world war two veteran. He was hard of hearing. Um, he was, he was strangled to death in his home during a robbery. Um, he was dismembered, and his body was scattered throughout the parish. And this is this is up north, y'all. And uh, um, so he he had a co-defendant. Uh, he and his girlfriend Beverly Susan Arthur went to rob Mickelson and I don't know Mickelson. They went to rob Mr. Charles Martin, and Mickelson ended up killing him, and they took his body uh, to Mickelson's family property and they cut him up and they just placed him all over the parish. And, you know, 
it all came to be. And I'll, and I'll tell you without getting too far ahead of it, I just want you to hear it. But I just want you to know that the, the jury's already found him guilty. I'm starting with the penalty phase for the death penalty. And because of the information which was allowed in the death penalty phase, which wasn't allow, allowed in the trial, which specifically has to do for our end story, for um, Christy O'Pry. Now, the it's just, I mean, it's horrible. I hate it for her family. I hate it for her daughter. I hate it for her sisters, for anyone involved in any way. But I want to, I want to tell this, but I'm going to tell it in their words, their meaning, the lawyers, the judge, the detectives, the, uh, the bad guy and everything else. So everything I'm going to do, I'm going to read it for you line for line, but stay tuned and we'll, I'll put it all together at the end, whenever that is, um, I have thousands of pages. I'm not reading thousands of pages death penalty part and y'all you know they robbed this and, and brutally murdered uh this world war ii vet because they were dopers and looking for another high and his co-defendant if you will milkerson's co-defendant took life in prison without the possibility of parole because she didn't want to go for she didn't want to be up for the death penalty case right like Milkerson was all right so i'm just going to start with that and just assume that you you know what happened in trial and maybe one day i'll cover that because i have all that trial also but that's been settled to a certain degree and what hasn't been settled is what happened with christy okay so i'm starting to read says proceedings the court and this is the judge or or I guess the clerk's reading this. The court, for the record, this is day 11 of the state of Louisiana versus Eric Mickelson. This is August the 4th, 2011, for the court reporter and for the transcript. There are several legal points I want to place on the record. I can do that now, or if we need to, we can take it up. Anything else first, we can do that. Mr. Edwards, he says, Your Honor, I can do this. The state is going to file a joint stipulation of facts signed by myself and Ms. Sheely on behalf of the defendant regarding the defendant's prior convictions that were allowable under Jackson's notice. It's my understanding that the defense will maintain their primary objection as to the Jackson issue. It's already been litigated, but we will agree for a reading as a stipulation of the fact that the state is presenting at this time, and I defer to defense counsel, Ms. Sheely, defense counsel, y'all. Michelle says, that is correct, Your Honor. The court says, all right. Mr. Edwards, it's my understanding, and I'll read this joint stipulation to the ladies and gentlemen of the jury, and that will be a stipulate matter of fact. The court, it, it, is that with regard to all felony convictions that you have provided notice on? And y'all, anytime I say the court, that's going to be the judge in the case. Mr. Edwards, yes, Your Honor. Michelle, is that correct? Michelle, yes. Yes, Your Honor. There has already been extensive litigation in this. We maintain our objection to the admissibility of it. However, since it is going to be admitted in the trial, we'll stipulate that these are the facts. The court. In this case, this didn't happen earlier. The record should reflect that Mr. Mickelson is present with his three lawyers, Mr. Price, Ms. Sheely, and Mr. Godmod. State is represented by the assistant district attorneys Hall and Edwards. I think the district attorney is present as well. There are a couple of things I want to say for the record, and while normally this might take place by bench conference or chambers conference, that procedure is essentially disallowed in this proceeding for reasons which have already been stated. In just a minute, I'm going to pass out a draft of the closing jury instructions for the sense of the hearing. This is the first working draft effort to provide the main aspects of what I will read to the jury at the end of this phase of the case. I want the lawyers to start looking at that, and I have a couple of questions and a few questions I want to pose now, because I understand that this sentencing phase may take three days. Is that right, Mr. Edwards? Mr. Edwards. Two to three, Your Honor. The court. All right, Mr. Price, do you agree? Mr. Price. I'm thinking two days. The court. Well, 
I want to do this now so that the lawyers can have a chance to talk with one another and do legal research if necessary, and I'll pass out a draft of my instructions, which needs some consideration and work by the lawyers. Of course, I will also hand to the jury at the end of the case the aggravating circumstances on which the state relies, and I will hand out a list of the statutory mitigating circumstances that are set forth by the law. I believe that those two place pieces of paper go to the jury room along with the two verdict forms, one for the death penalty and one for life in prison. Now, I will ask the lawyers to determine whether or not we need a proposed jury charge on the use of felony convictions. My understanding is that felony convictions may be admitted for the purpose of showing character and propensities of the defendant, and I think probably the jury instructions in that respect probably cover that point. But if that's not the case, and either side wants to provide more information to me, I'll be glad to entertain that. Another point is the burden of proof on the unadjudicated criminal conduct, conduct, such as the OPRI evidence. The law is, and I will leave this site with you, state versus drawn, the standard and burden of proving an unadjudicated criminal conduct is clear and convincing evidence. I want the lawyers to address the issue of whether you want me to include that phrase in there. It is not beyond a reasonable doubt is the lesser standard of clear and convincing evidence according to everything I know, plus a fairly recent pronouncement by the Supreme Court in State versus Drawn. Mr. Price, do you agree or disagree? Mr. Price, I agree. That is a standard, and in fact, we would be asking the court for the definition of clear and convincing. The court, let me suggest that you submit a proposed jury instruction on that. It is a lesser burden of proof than beyond a reasonable doubt, and it's certainly a considerable greater burden of proof than by a preponderance of evidence. When I talk about clear and convincing evidence and the burden of proof, I want to be very, very clear because that is a potentially a problematic area for appellate courts to review. So I want to be very careful what I say when I get into the business of defining this burden of proof. So what I'm looking for, Mr. Price, would be a pronouncement from the Louisiana Supreme Court. I don't think I can go wrong if I simply quote the Louisiana Supreme Court, which I've done before in this case. So I want to be very careful about all this. I know that all of you would expect no less. Anything else on that point before I move to my final point? Mr. Price, no, sir. Mr. Hall, no, sir. The court. Now, my final point is this. In my jury instructions, which I will read at the end of the case, I will list for the jury the mitigating circumstances that are set forth by law in the Code of Criminal Procedure. That is standard procedure. I know that there has been some, of course, talk about impairment and intoxication, and I guess that emanates from some of the things the defendant said in his statement, which would include his statement about a 5,000-a-day drug habit, and maybe some other comments that he made about coming down and all that. For the record, of course, the jury was instructed on intoxication as a defense and on specific intent, and the jury obviously rejected intoxication as a defense and found specific intent for first-degree murder. Now, I understand that's a big part of the defense in this matter, and there is evidence on this issue on the one hand, a $5,000 a day habit, according to Mr. Mickelson. On the other hand, a litany of other factors, which would include what took place in the house, basically leaving very little, if any, physical scientific evidence. Driving all around Shreveport without any traffic offense, no DWI, no speeding ticket, no crossing the center line, nothing, no, no anything else. It includes... Other such things as that. No cuts, no abrasions during this process in the woods. No abrasions, no scratches, no cuts, no anything, no blemishes, not even a tick bite from the evidence, nothing. No property damage to the vehicle, none. Not a scratch, not a bump, not a dent, not a flat tire, nothing. And then finally, perfect recall. Now, I say all that to say this. In the event 
The defense wants a special instruction on impairment or intoxication that is well-balanced and assuming that the state has no objection, assuming that the state has no meritorious, after I hear legal argument on that, I will consider it. I understand that's a big part of the defense. I understand that. I respect advocacy in any case. And if the defense wants any special instructions on impairment as it relates to mitigating circumstances, I will give it my best possible consideration and I'll keep an open mind as to including that as a legal instruction. But it needs to be, I think, something stated by the Supreme Court that fits the evidence in this case just like any other jurisdiction. So I tell you all to go get both sides thinking about these jury instructions because I don't want to be rushed at the end of the second day or the third day. And again, for the record, I'm here. Y'all told me three or four weeks, and I'm prepared for three or four weeks. But I'm also prepared to be efficient and conduct conduct this trial in an efficient manner and prompt manner and in a reasonable manner. So with all that said, Y'all can talk among yourselves. We can have another conference, perhaps on the record at the end of the day, and for the record, of course, the jury is outside the courtroom. I don't want there to be any mischaracterization later. Two years later, ten years later, to the contrary. Of course, the jury is outside the courtroom, and the only reason this is taking place in the manner in which it is is that there was a request by defense counsel that there be no off-the-record conferences, and I'm trying my best to make sure that we abide by that request. Anything else before the jury comes in? Well, one last thing. I'm going to pass out these proposed jury instructions. You can review those throughout the day as you deem necessary. I would also intend to read a very brief preliminary instruction to the jury as soon as they come in. I want you your consent and approval before I read that. Mr. Hall, I do have one more issue, Your Honor. As you know, the agreement between the sides about the statements that are being introduced at trial has been a continual source of work for both sides. I was receiving requests from the defense as late as 8.30 last night. I have made the statement that I intend to introduce through Pat McConnell in conformity with the previous request regarding that statement in the guilt phase. It's the same statement. It's just got more in it this time. And I have provided them a copy of this morning first thing. I have asked the defense if they could get a team member to pull back and review that. I have informed them that's with Pat McConnell. I've told them where Pat is going to fall. I would expect him to te testify sometime this afternoon. I'm requesting a reasonable time. I said to Mr. Sheely that 11 o'clock might be it. We may need to modify that, given the hour, the, the morning, but in advance enough time to make whatever changes are necessary if the defense has any further objection. I think my statement completely complies with everything asked, but I don't want it going up there without a chance for the defense to review it. This has been an ongoing process. I handed it to them first on July the 12th, and here we are on August the 4th, and I'm just asking the court for that one final thing. It's springtime, boys. The grass is green, the birds are chirping, and the kids will be out of school soon. That makes it the perfect time to plan a family vacation. And we know from the stories we cover that this is not exactly the time to take the family to the Caribbean. You don't want to end up in the middle of some cartel drug shootout. So this year, it's time to take an international journey. And of course, a big international trip is just one reason to learn a new language with Rosetta Stone. You might have a different one. Maybe you want to connect with family or friends living overseas. Maybe you want to acquire a new skill for work or better understand a certain culture. Rosetta Stone has helped me have fun with my mother and at least have partial conversations in Italian after only a few lessons. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and many more. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways. No English translation, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. 
Intuitive process, you pick up a language naturally, designed for long-term retention, speech recognition. The true accent feature is like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is convenient and an amazing value. That's right, Woody. A lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Real Life Real Crime and Daily Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Sayonara. Shout out to Astro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. My allergies are throwing my whole morning off. Do I sound different to you? I love that. You sound like, <laughs> it's that time of year there, bro. I sound different to me. I feel like I'm in a submarine. Yeah, well, have you tried Astro Pro? It's faster, bro. Oh. Right? Astro Pro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Hey, I use this. And you should too, Jim. Last weekend, I planted my garden, and it's that time of the year, and my allergies really kicked up with it, right? I use Astro every time my nasal allergies flare up, and I'm always amazed at how fast I'm back in the game, down on those rows, playing my stuff. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A S T E P R O allergy.com. It's faster, bro. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. The court. All right. Miss Sheely or Mr. Price or Mr. Gomad? Miss Sheely, Your Honor, I did receive the CD this morning, and I will have to get with Mr. Hall. I just have the audio and not a transcript. Mr. Hall, I will get you a copy of the transcript. Miss Sheely, and it's about 9.50 a.m. We'll look through this as quickly as I can. I think that we've been working relatively well on the issue throughout for many weeks. I've tried to identify everything pre, everything previously, so we will do our best to do one more run through the court. Well, I will certainly allow time for that. I would assume that the latitude is much wider at this point, of course, and I would assume that there is less information that would have to be redacted. I don't know, but you all work together, please, and if there's an objection, I'll address it, Mr. Hall. Yes, sir. Mr. Price. One last thing, Judge. I have additional discovery to file into the record. These are photographs that we intend to use during the penalty phase, and I provided a copy to Mr. Edwards. Mr. Edwards, that's correct. The court. All right, sir. No objection, I'm assuming, from the state. Mr. Edwards. No, not at this time. The court. Any objection to the very brief preliminary instruction that I intend to read? Mr. Price, not from the defense, the court. Is there any need for me to read anything further? Mr. Edward, the state is in agreement. The court, anything else to be taken up before the jury comes in? Ladies and gentlemen, please turn off your cell phones. There's to be no recording of these proceedings, no video, audio recording, no texting, no cell phone use, whatever, please. Anything else? Bring the jury in. Now, y'all, the jury enters the courtroom. They're seated. The court says, the judge says, ladies and gentlemen, please be seated. Ladies and gentlemen, having found the defendant, Eric Dale Milkson, guilty of first-degree murder, you must now determine whether he should be sentenced to death or to life in prison without the benefit of probation, parole, or suspension of sentence. If 
it is your duty to consider the circumstances of the offense and the character and propensities of Eric Dale Mickelson in determining the sentence that shall be imposed. You may consider the evidence adduced at the guilt determination trial, which has just been completed. This phase will proceed in a very similar manner in terms of testimony and physical evidence. For example, witnesses will come in, be sworn just like they were sworn in the guilt phase. They will take the witness seat, and there will be questions asked by lawyers in connection with the case. Exhibits may be introduced. Documents may be introduced. And at the close of the case, there will be closing arguments, and I will read you a special set of instructions and the law that you are to follow in your deliberations. So the process is very similar in the terms of the form and the nature of what will take place. We anticipate that this phase will take no more than three days. It may take two days. We will do our best to be prompt with your time. We value your time, and as I said before, your time is precious to me, so we will do our very best to be efficient with your time. From time to time, as you know, legal issues come up that I have to address, and that takes time. It's not as though I'm taking a break and sitting upstairs I'm here addressing legal issues when called upon, but we will do our best to be efficient with your time. I think we told you seven or eight days. We are way better than that in terms of maintaining the schedule. We believe, again, two to three days. Thank you all. The state may present its opening statement. All right, y'all. I hate to read y'all that part, but that's... That's courtroom shit that happens in every trial and every part of the guilt phase. Now here, the guilt phase, is not guilt phase, the, the death penalty phase is beginning, and it's a whole nother trial, all right, with more evidence. So opening statement, Mr. Hall. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. Ladies and gentlemen, I know based on what you had to do yesterday and the preceding days, you think it's pretty bad, and I promise you, it's getting ready to get a whole lot worse. In fact, I'm getting ready to put you on an elevator straight to hell. What I'm talking about is Miss Christy O'Pry, because you see, Charles Martin wasn't his first victim. You see, everything that you heard in the guilt phase isn't quite right. We talked a whole lot about specific intent, yet he's done it before. Rest easy in your decision yesterday. Christy was a beautiful young mother. When you see pictures of her, you're going to think that she was strikingly beautiful and she's caught in the spring of her life when we all should be making the most enjoyable time. And Christy had had a hard life. You may hear some about that. It wasn't easy for her, but she was a good mama, and she loved her baby. And she met up with Mr. Mickelson because she needed a car ride, and he went and picked her up. And you'll hear about where they went, over to her sister's house, that's Paige Dowden, and they had some drinks, and they had smoked some pot, and they went over to El Chico's at South Park Mall in went on a little trip and then it gets a little vague about where it went and understand all of this is happening back in 96 about 11 years prior during the summer he takes her out there to the Woolworth Road property and when I say it's exactly the same it's not just kind of the same he takes her right out there to that gate You know that. You've seen. She's passed out, and he chokes her to death. He says she didn't even put up a fight. Again, another meek victim, right? Another chance to display his power over somebody else. To tell you that in his confession that he's not even attracted to Christy? 
and get ready to get through those Dante gates I was just talking about. Because after he kills her, he has sex with her. And he's having sex with her after he's wrung her neck. Just like he wrung the neck of Mr. Martin. He's doing odd things with her body beyond just sex. He's moving it about. And he's trying to get it, at least according to what he says, up into a tree house that's out there. And he breaks her neck some more. And the detective's saying, well, are you sure? Are you sure she was dead? I mean, before you had sex? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I fucked every hole on her. Oh, yeah. She was like a life-size blow-up doll. And boy... When he says that, you can hear it in what he's saying. So you want to talk about character and propensities? Let's talk about that, okay? You're going to hear all about that. You're going to hear it from Paige, her sister, and what happened at her house. You're going to hear it from Charles Schultz, the detective who it was his job to investigate it, about his initial contact with Mickelson and how he was a suspect then, He was the last one seen with her, and there was never any explanation as to what happened. She just fell off the map. Had her little baby's birthday party coming up, and poof, somebody's gone. At any rate, Detective Schultz was at the far end of his career at Caddo, and Kay Ward, who still serves as the Bozer Sheriff's Detectives, was a Caddo Sheriff's detective at the time. She was just coming on. This was one of her first big cases, and she had been there since August of 96. That's about a month into the Mickelson investigation. It was still hot and heavy. Well, she took care of voluminous requests from the family about evidence, trying to get that case solved trying to bring it to court like we did with Charles Martin. But we never had a body because you know what happened to the body? We know why he knows about how BFI works right? Experience. And so, at any rate, we don't ever find the body of Christy. But one thing he does say is that he put her in that pond. We never showed a picture of the pond, but there's a pond down there in between those two clumps of trees, and he weighted her down with five-star rims. We're talking about wheels off a truck, and I say five-star because that's a real particular description along with some clumps of concrete. And as Patrick McConnell is talking to him about Charles Martin, He's talking to him also about Christy. Remember, my noise beep? Well, the beeps are gone. There certainly will be some beeps left, and that's still inadmissible stuff. And it's irrelevant, and don't worry about it. But a lot of that stuff is going to be filled in. I have to warn you now that the statement is just over five hours. I've tried and tried to find a way to pare that down, But taking those statements out of context destroys your ability to understand it. So I apologize about the link. I promise I worked really hard, but you're going to hear it. You're going to have the transcript just like before. You're going to hear his words. Those five-star rims were found when the Caddo Sheriff's drained that pond as her body bubbled up because we all know that bodies immersed sometimes do. When he went back to check on what he did, he found her in there. And he says, he continued his creepy metaphors and says, well, I went swimming with her. And he talks about what the animals had done to beautiful Christy and how she is just laid open there and what he so put on and what he had to deal with. Bizarre. Horrifying. 
At any rate, you know, this part is whether death is appropriate. I've said a lot towards that end about what is appropriate so far, but we've got not only what happened with Christy, as I've tried to cast a little light on, but we've also got what happened exactly to Charles Martin. In and of itself, as a component by itself, is enough to get you there. The horribleness. Now, that the curtain has been removed a little bit and any uncertainty about intoxication or anything else that we may have had now that we know he is right, we know what's happened to Mr. Martin by itself, enough. As he stands before you today, he's a five-time convicted felon. Just a stellar life, right? Burglary, theft, drugs, and other things. He's not. He is not the best of the best, the victim. He is not worthy of anything but your contempt. The evidence we're going to show you in addition to character and propensities, in addition to the circumstances of the offense is victim impact evidence, and my victims here are the surviving family members of Charles Martin. You may kind of want to look at Paige Doughton that same way, but she's not quite the same flavor. She is a fact witness for what happened to her sister. Stacy Trant is coming back to talk to you again. Remember Stacy, And this time, Phil Martin. And that's Mr. Martin's son, Phil. And they're going to tell you, this is what the loss means to me. This is how it's affected my family. This is why my grandchildren and my children ask every night for their dad to sleep with them and make sure that the alarm is on because Christmas has been messed up because the family tradition is gone because the patriarch of the family has been cut off and removed by Mr. Mickelson, right? Let's talk about the law a little bit. We've got aggravating circumstances. The state has to show you to get you in a position where you can consider this, right? The victim is over the age of 65. I think we found that yesterday. During an armed robbery, during a simple robbery, during an aggravated burglary, all things you have already had adequate time to consider. Mr. Edwards is going to stand up and offer and introduce the entirety of the guilt phase to you. Then it is at issue here. It's just legal, technical gymnastics we've got to go through, but the proof is there. Then we can consider whatever defense has to put on by way of mitigation. We've already hammered that. After you hear all the evidence, I think you're going to be convinced first and foremost that the state has taken the gloves off on this guy right now. And number two, that there really is only one way to decide the case, and I thank you for your attention. And he sits down, y'all. The court. All right, Mr. Golden Mud, open a statement by the defense. Mr. Golmud states, you're not here to determine whether Eric will be punished for the crime that he committed. That decision has already been made. And by your verdict, you've already decided that Eric will spend the rest of his life in prison. Whatever decision you make in this phase, starting today, Eric will never leave Angola State Penitentiary. We're asking you to determine whether Eric will die of natural causes in Angola or by the hands of the state of Louisiana by means of lethal injection. It is your job in this phase to make that determination, to determine what penalty Eric will receive. 
both of these options are available to you are extremely, extremely serious penalties. Remember when we discussed in Wadir life in Louisiana? And by that, I mean a life sentence in Louisiana isn't just a 20-year sentence or a 30-year sentence or 40-year sentence. Life means life. Anyone who goes there with a life sentence will never, ever leave. They die there. I can remember a few years ago, I went to visit a client in Angola. And if you know that process, you're allowed in. They search your vehicle. And when you come out, they search it again. And while I was there, I saw a hearse removing the body of a man who had died in Angola. And they searched that hearse to make sure that he was, in fact, dead. That's what it means. Now, this particular person, he had family that could claim the body. But for the majority of people that go to Angola and die in Angola, they're buried at the cemetery. Again, once you go there, you never leave. That is the reality of life sentence in Louisiana. That is Eric's fate. Now, I have to admit to you, I'm nervous here as I stand before you because this is the first time in my professional career that I've had to take this argument, and it's difficult. I know it's going to be difficult for you. I know you're just as nervous as I am, but I endeavor and I hope that you will give us the consideration that you promised you would give us in the beginning because this is the start of a process. My fear is that I know you've already rejected our offense, but our fear is that you've already made your decisions here. And I ask you to listen to all the evidence that we're going to present, that is going to be presented, and make a determination Wait to make that determination until the end, as you promise. Hey, y'all. My wife's biggest struggle this past year was fighting the symptoms associated with menopause. Hot flashes, mild mood swings, and sleeplessness. She had them all until she tried Hormone Harmony. She was amazed at how much Hormone Harmony reduced her symptoms and supported her mood and her general well-being. Hormone Harmony is not just a supplement for women going through perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause. It's become a phenomenon. Women cannot stop talking about it on social media. A bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now, here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. So hormone harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it. But it's perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold. Hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas, no desire to be in bed next to someone, if you know what I mean. Yeah, Hormone Harmony can help with all of these things. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code RLRC at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code RLRC for 15% off today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more health issues with the dog's joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step -step how anyone can do this same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. 
Now, my dog, Phoebe, is the queen of our house, and I can tell you that her health is extremely important to us. She is a part of our family. I watched the video, y'all, and I was amazed by the things I didn't know that could impact your dog's health. This 20-minute video is packed full of tips that I've already started with my dog, Phoebe. I'm noticing more energy, healthier skin and coat. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash RLRC and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash R-L-R-C. I want you to know very clearly that we understand that decision. We respect that decision. I simply ask you that in this phase that you keep an open mind and you realize that you have an awesome responsibility here. As we've explained to you, this is the second part of the process. We've been through the first phase, the guilt phase, and you've already made that determination. Now we're in the penalty phase. And with that, you will see that the state will present evidence to you, as Mr. Hall just explained, and we will present evidence to you. The mitigation is something that we will present. Do you remember when we talked about it in Boisdere, the aggravating circumstances, the mitigating circumstances? That's what we're talking about. We will make that presentation to you, and mitigation is the key of our argument to you here. That they are things that are enumerated by law. And we will explain that to you. What, whatever you decide, mitigation should be in your own mind. It is not an excuse. We said that to you time, time again in Voidir. We're not making an excuse. It is an explanation which gives life, which gives you reason to show mercy and compassion and to give life. As we discussed in Wadir, mitigating circumstances are as follows. And I'm not going to read the whole litany to you, but I want to point out the two factors that we are presenting to you. B, under Article 905.5, the following shall be considered mitigating circumstances. The offense was committed while the offender was under the influence or under the d- domination of another person or H, any other relevant mitigating circumstances. Now, I want to talk to you about this penalty phase that we're about to go in and embark on. Again, we talked about this in the Wadir, but this is what it means. What does it mean to you? What does mitigation mean to you? Someone once told me, a wise old lawyer, that it, in the guilt phase, we're dealing with the who, what, where, how. But in the penalty phase of a capital case, we're talking about the why and the why. Again, mitigation is a reason, a choice that you can make to give a life sentence. In the guilt phase, you deal or dealt with criminal responsibility. Evidence was presented, tangible things. Something that you saw, as we displayed at the end of the state's case, you saw it, you felt it, you could touch it, you could see it. This is something a little bit different. We're dealing with moral culpability. I know that's a mouthful, but it's an elusive concept. But that's what we're dealing with here. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? I guess as Mr. Price has explained to you, it's a personal moral judgment that you will alone make. Again, we remind you, as we talked about extensively, it is a decision that you will make, and we ask that you respect each other's decisions. 
In the mitigation phase, we will present to you mitigating circumstances. We will offer evidence of those, and it is up to you to determine whether that is mitigation. Again, that could be anything. It could be the tiniest bit of evidence. It could be the smile that a mother gives her son, the defendant. It could be the fact that a father died at an early age and left a son in a family. It could be his addiction to cocaine. It could be anything that you deem proper. At this phase of the trial, we will believe you will find that Eric's cocaine addiction is a reason for you to vote for life, and you will see how this addiction grabbed hold of him. It is your right to choose life for any reason you deem appropriate. Also, when you make your decision, your decision has to be unanimous. You all have to agree. And this is the curious thing about what we're dealing with here. There is no right or wrong answer. The law doesn't demand that you have to put this man to death. The law doesn't demand anything of you. The law even has a default mechanism. If you cannot decide unanimously, then the law will kick in and default to life sentence. Before I go on, I need to acknowledge something regarding how some of you may feel at this moment, how some of you may feel with regards to what was presented to you in this case, in the guilt phase. You have convicted Eric of killing Charles Martin. You did that, and we realize that, and we accept that, and we realize that the photos that were shown to you may have been disturbing, and they clearly offend your sensibilities. However, we ask that you don't let your anger lower any of the burdens of proof. Now, you've heard about Christy O'Pry and that Eric said that he killed her. Well, that is not true. He admitted to something he did not do. We have doctors that will come and testify before you, and they'll explain to you how something like that could have happened. And by that, I mean Eric testifying or saying what he did. Again, we're going to call two experts, a neuropsychiatrist and a psychiatrist, and they've examined Eric, and they're going to come in and they're going to testify and they're going to explain to you in layman's terms as simply as they can what exactly they find. Eric has a mental illness. I think that's evident, but you will hear testimony to that fact. But prior to his arrest, on the charge we know, we know that he was addicted to cocaine. They're also going to tell you that he's psychotic and that Eric is not always in touch with reality, meaning that Eric cannot understand what is real and what's not real. They will also tell you, explain to you, that Eric entertains grandiose ideas that his thought processes are not normal. Eric cannot think beyond what is immediately in front of him. He doesn't have or cannot recognize the consequences of whatever his actions are or what he's about to take. Eric is not in control. And that is because we will show you that in the combination of that mental illness with his cocaine addiction causes Eric serious, serious problems. You're going to hear from Eric, from members of Eric's family, his mother, Tina Mickelson. You're going to hear from his brother, Chris Mickelson. Now, Tina will tell you that he was born. Eric was born here in Caddo Parish, and that her and her husband, Derek, who passed away some years ago, they liked to take the boys camping, and they would go camping to Shady Lake, just outside Derek's Arkansas. They would also go to Caney Lake, which is by Menden. She's going to tell you he attended schools, fairs, carnivals, but most of all, Eric swam. And he and his brother were big, avid swimmers. And that they belonged to the City of Shreveport swim team, coached by Butch Gordon, where he won numerous awards. He had this normal, typical childhood growing up in Caddo Parish. You will also hear that once he started drugs as a teenager, 
that all changed. And once he really started taking drugs as an adult, it completely went downhill. Eric's brother Chris is going to testify about his relationship with his brother, how they grew up, but he's also going to tell you about himself and how Chris is in need of a kidney transplant and how Chris and Eric communicated and that Eric is willing to donate a kidney to his brother. So we know there's a son, but Eric didn't really have that much of a relationship with him. He went to Ohio as a young man and lived there for a couple years, met a woman, had a child, came back, and they lost contact. The mother did not allow a visit. They just fell apart or drifted apart, rather. Until recently, that young man just turned 18, and on his own, he made contact with Eric. He wrote him. He told him that he wanted to have a relation with him, and they corresponded with, it, with each other. We hope that you give Eric a chance to develop a relationship with his son. Give Eric the opportunity to teach his son not to make the same mistakes that he's made. I don't know if he's going to be here. Like I said, he just turned 18. He's unemployed. I would love to have him come here, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Another thing the doctor's going to tell you is that Eric's problems, they're a combination. They're a combination of the mental illness and the cocaine addiction. You sentenced him. You sentenced him to Angola. And the thing is that I want to stress here is that you cannot take away his mental illness, but you can take away the cocaine. You can separate him from the cocaine. And we believe that the evidence will show that air can function in a structured environment in Angola is nothing but a structured environment. Does any of this, what I've just explained to you, mean that Eric should not be punished for his actions on July 10th of 2007? Of course it doesn't. I'm not going to insult you by trying to say that, and it shouldn't. He should be punished. He will be punished. He will be punished every day of his life. But the question that you have to ask yourselves is, is this more a question of who you are? Someone once said, that when you judge another, you do not define them. You define yourselves. Is it okay? Do you believe that it's okay to kill someone who acts crazy, who's mentally ill, who's addicted to cocaine? What is the form, the proper form of punishment for someone like that? Thank you. Now, y'all... The court takes over from this point, and I'm going to end this first episode. Obviously, I'm going, I'm telling you, I'm going to read this shit, and it's going to blow your mind. I've, I've Again, I've listened to everything. I've heard people's opinions and everything, and you know, the human opinions get mixed up by different emotions, and I get that. I'm not saying anyone was right or wrong. I'm just saying these are facts, matter of public record. Anyone could go get this. It's, this is the most compelling transcript I've ever read in my entire life. And if I was in the courtroom, I mean, I could see this in my mind's eye when I'm there. The, the state, and my mind rightfully so, wants to put him to death. And the defense is going to try everything to keep him alive. Stay tuned to next week's episode. And we'll continue it from there. And I'm going through the witnesses. We're going to get immediately into the witnesses. No more pretrial stuff or opening arguments. Straight into the witnesses. And it, you don't cry or want to throw up and get mad as hell. You may need to check your pulse. But anyway, concluding the episode, Patreon of Convicts. You got an episode coming. I promise you. Um, subscribers, y'all, if you want to be a patron of convict, you can go to patreon.com, type in real life, real crime. If you want to be a convict, you can go to the real life, real crime community app. 
download it. It's free. Everything's in there, forums, games, the merch store, and everything else. I answer there first every day. But also, you can you can become a subscriber through that. And I call, affectionately call them convicts. The um, podcast awards. Go to podcastawards.com. Type in your email. Uh, type in a password. They'll, they'll ask you underneath that, are you willing to be selected if you're selected for a final judge? Because after this process, they, when everybody's voting, they're going to select the top 10 finalists in each category. And then the uh, the people that check, they would like to be a final judge. You don't have to listen to every one of them, y'all. You can just listen to ones that you selected. Um, they're going to email them to be a final judge and, and make their final votes. And so if you would go to podcastawards.com, fill in the information. I'm up for Adam Curry's People's Choice Podcast of the Year Award. I'm up for, um, which I won it two years in a row, I'm up for Best Male Host in the World. I'm up for Best True Crime Podcast, which I, I won that last year again, thanks to y'all. I'm up for Best Drama and Storytelling, which I've won twice now, thanks to y'all. Um, also, they have a spot for Most Influential Podcaster at, at the end. If you would, type in my name, and I won that last year because y'all. And it, it's the oldest podcast awards in the world. It means everything to me. I know I'll go off script. It seems like every episode I'm doing my story, then I'm doing, you know, a story about what happened in like Wesley Dell, or now I'm doing this one. I just tell what I'm led to tell. So if y'all would, podcastforwards.com, give me your vote. Of course, I'm going to end it with Lopa, Louisiana, Oregon. Oh, back under the podcast awards, uh, there's a category for history. And under history is Bloody Angola. And that's the podcast I do myself, my co-host, Jim Chapman. We're up for best history podcast. So if you would, when you're checking those other boxes, check Bloody Angola. And look, there's a whole bunch of categories. You don't have to check any that you don't want to. The ones I, I've told you about, the ones that we've been nominated for. So LOPA, Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. My jam people, love them to death. Um... They save lives every day, and please go sign up to be an organ donor. You don't have to be from the state of Louisiana. If you're a lifer from uh, Madrid and you want to be an organ donor, go to lopa.org, fill out the, the little questionnaire thing, be a hero, give the gift of life and sight and everything else that they do. And... I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder Bayou. Peace. Yeah, the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. Do you understand your rights? <laughs>